Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Happy New Year. What was that? Goodness. That is not happy. That, I don't even know what that was. You know, so let me, let me just, I mean, look, this is a new year for Vanguard Bible Church, a new year for all of us. I believe God's going to do great things in this church. It's another year to get to love each other, serve Bakersfield. So happy new year, church. Perfect. Yes, we should be excited about this. It's a new year, and for me, usually, um, it might look differently this year, but I'm a guy who loves making lists. I'm a list maker like Paul. Um, love making my top five lists of albums of the year um, by genre, by location, and just, oh, I can get so obnoxious. Um, <clears throat> and I don't know if I'm going to have time this year, but I am typically that guy. Um, but one of my favorite musicians and artists of all time, year in, year out, probably my best, my favorite solo musician is David Bowie. So David Bowie. One of the reasons that I love David Bowie, like so many people, is that this guy is just reborn over and over. Every five, ten years, he changes his music style. He changes the way he looks. He changes labels. He changes something, so he's always fresh. He always has characters and personas like Ziggy Stardust, Major Tom, Thin White Duke. And so every couple of years, he changes in the context of where he is so new generations can enjoy his music. And I think this idea of recreating ourselves is exciting, right? And we think, I mean, just think about New Year's resolutions. And so yesterday, we've all begun um, whether we admit it or not, because I think we're past admitting that we do resolutions, right? We just say, we don't do those. Yes, we do. We want this year to be awesome. We want this year to be different. We want to be better. Call it what you want. We are heading into this year wanting to recreate ourselves and make ourselves better. And this is awesome. This is one of the things when God created us that he gave us as human beings, right? Unlike any other part of God's creation, we can recreate ourselves, we could change ourselves. We can decide that we want to switch jobs. There's no instinct, right? We could decide we want to be an artist. We can decide to go to school. We could decide to stop lying. We can decide, right? We can make a decision to change the directory of our lives. And there's very few exceptions, except for being born again physically. Like, you can't be born again physically, right? That's the one thing you can't decide no matter how hard you want. You can't be born again physically. You get one life, no do-overs. You're always going to be a version of yourself that's slightly older. You know? Better? Yeah, I'd say better. I'd say throughout my life, I love my life more now. I'd say I'm a better person now than I was when I was younger. We get older, we get better. But we can't be born again. And so the two things that we can't change is, you know, we can't change our sex, and we can't reverse time. Almost everything else is on the table, right? We can't reverse time. We can't change our sex, but we can decide to do anything else and to recreate ourselves. And we just can't live forever, right? We can't be, keep being born again and live forever. And so on January 10th, 2016, big bummer of a day for me, um, David Robert Jones, also known as David Bowie, died. 
Like, this guy could recreate himself over and over. And he died, and I was totally bummed out. And I'm not the guy who gets bummed out like when celebrities die. I, I'm not happy about it. But, you know, every, everybody dies, and so it doesn't upset me. But when I saw David Bowie die, it really bummed me out. But the truth is, um, Bowie bummed me out earlier in my life as well. At one point, he said, and this is right when I started going to concerts, right? Just when I started going to concerts, he came out and said, I am no longer going to play my hits at concerts. I'm tired of playing those songs. You know, I'm not going to tell you the songs. I'm not going to endorse that. But he's like, I'm tired of playing these songs. I'm not going to play them anymore. And I understand as artists, right? Artists have their, their singles, and I can only imagine how nauseating it can be to play the same songs over and over. And I, I get it. They don't want to play them anymore. But I think they're wrong. I think they're wrong to do that because their context always changes. There's always a new context. And so for some, it's the first time they hear a song. For some, it's the first time they hear a song live. Or for some, it's been a really long time since they've heard that song, and I really believe they need to hear that song. For whatever reason, if you're going to create something, then you owe it to the person to keep creating it so that it can continually be used. And don't ignore it. Don't ignore the hits. That's insane. Like, if you go see your favorite artist, if they don't play like their main single, you're bummed, right? You're bummed. I mean, you, you go for that moment. And I feel like John 3 falls into this category. Yeah, I'm going somewhere with this. Um, so I feel like John 3 falls into this category. The book of John generally, I've, I've never been part of a church in 25 years that's gone through the book of John because everybody knows the book of John, right? If, if you're a Christian, if you've read through the Bible, chances are you've read through the book of John. For most people I've talked to, the first book of the Bible they read was the book of John. If somebody... Um, has only heard one chapter in their life, whether they read it or had it read to them, it is John chapter 3, right? Who can't recite John 3.16? Like everybody, even like non-believers, right, can recite John 3.16. And so I don't know if that's completely the reason, but I believe that, that, that it is ignored for that reason. Just like, well, everybody knows John 3.16. How are you going to preach on that? And, and we're only going to go through verse 15 today. But look, John 3 should be popular. It is the gospel, right? It is, it's a short chapter, and it is the complete gospel. I encourage you, if you want to spend two, year, uh, two minutes every day the rest of your life, read John chapter 3 every day for those two minutes, every single day. I, I couldn't recommend that enough. So we are not going to ignore that here. We're not going to ignore the, the book of John. We're not going to ignore John chapter 3. We're going to spend three weeks going through it. Because we have a context. We exist in a context known as Bakersfield. Now, before I moved out here, I did my due diligence. I did my research. Bakersfield, Red City, Oklahoma West, Texas West, conservative city, right? It's just, it, it's red. There, there's mega churches. There's farms. And, the, and so there's things that make Bakersfield, Bakersfield. And in many ways, over the years, Bakersfield itself has been born again repeatedly. From the town I used to pass through when I was younger, and it was just a tiny little farm town we just stopped for gas in, to becoming its own city, to becoming a bigger city, and now a really big city that has everything that any other city has, right? Has all the same restaurants. We have a hockey team. That's awesome. 
But the truth is, it's continually growing. It's being born again into something else as we speak, as we are here. People are coming here to escape the rest of California's housing costs, right? And so there's not even enough room anymore in Bakersfield. So it's becoming something we just don't know what it's becoming. We don't know what the next step is. So what do we know? What do we know? Here's what I've discovered since coming here. Yes, it's conservative. You know, it's conservative. 53.9% voted Republican in the last election. 43.7% Democrat. Yes, it's, it's, it's a red city. And coming from Denver, this is so refreshing. It is absolutely so refreshing. But what does it mean that it's conservative? What does that mean spiritually, specifically? Does that mean anything to us? For the last couple decades especially, there's been this idea that if, if you're conservative, that you're also religious. And not just religious, but you're Christian. And you're not just Christian, but you're evangelical. And you couldn't be one without being the other. And yet I hope we know now that that's not true. That is absolutely not true. In Bakersfield, evangelicals make up 15%. So us, evangelicals, you know, Bible-believing, we believe in Jesus, we believe Jesus is the only way of salvation, we believe the Bible is, is the Word of God, and we must tell people about Jesus, right, the four points of, of being evangelical. There's only 15% of us. And who knows how real that number is. We also have 30% Catholic. And so what that means is 54% of Bakersfield is conservative. They're living out conservative lives, voting conservatively. But they're going to die horrifically. They're going to die and go to hell for all of eternity. Yes, Bakersfield is red but it is not red from the blood of Jesus, which is what we're about, right? We want Bakersfield to be red by the blood of Jesus. So as we go through John 3, lose the illusion of what Bakersfield is. It's not the Bible Belt. It is not. Bakersfield is a city that needs the gospel as much as any other city. Yes, we have good tasting food, less traffic, cheaper housing, but we need the gospel. We need the gospel. Today's sermon is called God Save Bakersfield, Part 1. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, yeah, this is our context. We pray for Bakersfield. We pray for our city, a unique city. Uh, just that, that's so far away from other major cities, Lord. That's just, we, we are our own place. I know in the Bible, you, you call out places uh, regionally, geographically that you send letters to regions, Lord. And so I'm asking, as the Church of Bakersfield, as Vanguard, but as the Church of Bakersfield, Lord, that you would see us, that you would know that we love you and we long to see our neighbors transformed by your gospel. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to make an impact here, Lord, to grow this church, absolutely, but to grow the fame, Lord, of Jesus, Lord, who is beautiful, Lord, and is a necessity. And so we ask for your power, Lord, and may you enjoy our worship of you in everything we do, Lord. Amen. So let's start by looking at the first two verses of John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, 
we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so what we find here, it's very interesting, is this is the first like actual conversation that Jesus has, the first prolonged conversation where we see God interacting, right, as Jesus to people. We heard him talk to his mom very briefly in chapter 2. Uh, we, we heard him yell, right, at money changers and people selling pigeons in chapter 2. But this is like the first legit conversation taking place at night. And, and if John is mentioning that it's at night, you have to ask, well, why is he mentioning it that it's at night? Who cares? Well, I think for one of three reasons, and I think actually all three of them. Nicodemus can't approach Jesus during the day, right? Nicodemus is a leader. He can't publicly come out and hang out with Jesus. Doesn't want people to see that. He needs to explore more, and he will do that later on, but right now he's exploring. He's not going to be caught in public. At night, he would have had more attention for conversation, right? Everybody's left. Everybody's went home asleep, and now he gets a, a lot of time and a lot of attention with Jesus, and then third, he was a Pharisee, and all the literature of that day says Pharisees were up all night studying and talking about God. Like, that's just what they did all night. So I think one, or I think actually all three of those together is probably why this is happening at night. Um, but who is this Nicodemus guy? Who is he? And so let's look at his credentials, because that's what John says about him, right? He doesn't talk about his personality. He's like, all right, this is what you need to know about Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee and ruler of the Jews, which means, as we've talked about the Pharisees before, yeah, generally bad guys, kind of the villains, right? Jesus is upset with them all the time. They're getting a lot of stuff wrong. They love the law. They keep all 613 commandments of what we consider or what we call our Old Testament. And not only that, they keep extra laws to kind of buffer those 613 laws all about the law. And so they were obsessed with the law, which also meant um, a crazy obsession with the Sabbath. I think Sabbath is good. That's a whole other sermon, though. Having a Sabbath is good, but they're obsessed with the Sabbath. They even attack Jesus at several points. Of all the things they can attack Jesus about, it's like, you're working on the Sabbath? You're healing on the Sabbath? So it's a, it's a big deal, this Sabbath. And so you can't do work on the Sabbath. But what is work? <laughs> what is work? What does that mean, right? And so they had this rule about work. And so they said, you can't tie a knot to a, a pail and lower it into, um, to get water, right, in a well. You can't tie a knot to get water because that is work. Tying that knot is work. At the same time, they have another rule. If you're a woman and you're putting on, on women's clothes and you tie the exact same knot, it is not work. And so, yeah, just, just, just for framework. So what do you do if you are a Pharisee and you need water on the Sabbath? You find a woman, have her tie her clothing to the pail and lower it into the well. And that's how they got around that. None of that had any point. Well, all to say, like, that's the way they live, though. All about rules. If you told them you need to do more to enter the kingdom of God, they'd say, okay, cool, what's the next rule? Like, that, that's the way our minds work. That, that's the way we understand things. Now, it also mentions that Nicodemus is a leader of the Jews which means he's an ultra-Pharisee, like just a whole nother level ultra-Pharisee known as the Sanhedrin. So, and usually there was about 70 Sanhedrin, and they ruled all the Jewish nation. So this guy's not just like a religious teacher. I mean, he's absolute leader with authority, lots of authority. And just real quickly, 
um, looking at verse 10, Jesus says that he is the teacher of Israel, which means he's like the top of those 70, and those 70 are on top of the Pharisees, we're on top of all the Jewish nations. So essentially, Nicodemus could tell anybody to do anything he wanted. Jesus is talking to the guy who represents the entire Jewish nation. You could see this in the fact that when Nicodemus talks, he says, we, right? And it's, I'm assuming he doesn't have a mouse in his pocket, but when he says we, he's saying like the entire nation. I speak on behalf of Jews completely. And so these are the credentials of Nicodemus, the most powerful religious spiritual person, right? If anybody is getting into the kingdom of God, Nicodemus should be at the front of that line, right? Should be at the very front. And so what I want to do now, though, is talk about uh, the Bakersfield connection, which we're going to call Bay Connections, right? Bay Connections, Bakersfield connection. I know it sounds like bacon, you know, but bacon's good. So Bakersfield connection. Thinking about the fact that as we spread the gospel of Jesus in Bakersfield, we are going to come across Nicodemus. Like, we're going to come across this guy. Like, not this guy, obviously, but that person, we're going to come across this person, and we need to be prepared about that. So if evangelicals make up 15%, Catholics make up 30%, and 45% is made up of um, Islam, Buddhists, Latter-day, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, that's 50%. You have a 1 in 2, 50% chance of coming across a type of Nicodemus when we share our faith. And we need to, we need to have this in mind. They are going to have some ideas about what truth is and following rules. This also means that we have to consider we also have a 50% chance of talking to somebody who doesn't believe that truth exists, right? Like a postmodern person. So a person who just knows everything about truth and a person who doesn't believe that truth exists at all. So that, that's what we are going to encounter. So I want to keep that in mind as we proceed. Like, think about, we are going to encounter this person. How is Jesus encountering this person? Let's, let's really follow the way Jesus does this, how he communicates. So let's get back to this. Um, Nicodemus could be doing anything. I don't know what was cool to do at that time, but he could be doing it. All power, authority. Why is Nicodemus talking to Jesus? Again, in verse 2, he says, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And so first off, he approaches Jesus with respect. Like, this is actually a lot of respect. They have the teacher, like the number one guru, top dog, professor, teacher, talking to Jesus, and he calls him essentially an equal teacher, right? This is huge. But the problem is, as true as that is, and that credential is right, he is the teacher, he's so far away from acknowledging who Jesus is. He's on the right path, I and mean, he's headed the right direction, but he's still completely far from all of Jesus' credentials, especially that we learned in, in chapter 1, right? All the beautiful, magnificent stuff that Jesus is. But just the fact that Jesus is talking to this guy tells you that Nicodemus isn't your average guy, Right? And so at the end of chapter 2, um, and I think the end of chapter 2 should really be the beginning of chapter 3, Jesus says, like, everybody is following me. I'm doing these signs, and everybody's following me. But I'm not getting caught up in it. I, like, they're, they're praising, but they're not praising me. They're praising the signs. 
And so Jesus says, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. Like, they want the signs. They don't want me. But right here it says that, that Nicodemus is following the signs as well. But he's coming to a different conclusion than everybody else did. Jesus sees, like, okay, he sees the signs. He's not like, what can I get out of this? But he's, Nicodemus is seeing the signs and saying, oh, you're from God. So Nicodemus is a pretty smart guy. It always bugs me when he, he's portrayed as someone who's just like, you know, not smart, not intelligent, doesn't know what's going on. He's a very smart guy that he's able to see this and come to him and approach him as teacher, approach him as someone from God. And also, it must say a lot that Jesus shares with him the greatest truth of all time. If this guy wasn't somebody, Jesus wouldn't be having this conversation with him. And so Jesus shares this most important truth ever, the truth that you must be born again. And we see this in verses 3 through 9. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man uh, who is born... How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. And so we see here Jesus' response, which is credentials denied, right? Access denied, sorry, can't go any further. Credentials acknowledged and, and, and denied. Jesus didn't say they weren't true. Jesus said they were true, right? He is the teacher of Israel. He has the credentials, just not the credentials to get into the kingdom of God. And just for reference, kingdom of God, it means heaven, it means eternity, it means being with God forever. That is a term that John uses the most often. The kingdom of God is eternity with God and with Jesus. Can you imagine what Nicodemus must have felt? Ascending to the highest position of his people. Read every book multiple times, wrote the books, man, like this is the guy. And just to be told like, yeah, you're not good enough. In fact, you know what? Being good enough wasn't ever even the problem. It was a credential problem. It was a qualification problem, right? It was a prerequisite problem. It was a birth problem. And so Jesus presents him with the new credential. Like, this is the credential you need, Nicodemus. All the stuff that you already have, but you also need this, being born again. To enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And sadly, this is a term that has lost its meaning in our culture. I mean, it's all over the place. If you type in Google being born again, it could be any sort of change of mind, transformation, change of career, change of government, and that's considered being born again. But Nicodemus wasn't confused. He knew what Jesus was talking about. There was a rabbinical saying, a proselyte who embraces Judaism is like a newborn child. And so if you were baptized, you know, with water, Judaism, they considered you being born again. Like, this is a very familiar term. They accepted it as being born again, like you were being born as a Jew. They accepted that. That was something they came up with, and they took to an extreme. So he knows exactly what it is. Jesus is calling it out. You must be born again. 
and for reasons that has been argued <laughs> since he said it. Uh, Nicodemus says this in verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? People have argued forever. What is this guy talking about? Like, is he trying to buy time? Is he trying to, like, think this through when he's just, he's just saying anything? You know, I, I think he may even be thinking about physical birth still. And he's so prideful. And he's asking Jesus, well, you know, Jesus can't be talking about me, a Jew. So if he's saying this, he must, like, he's asking, can, can a Gentile be reborn as a Jew? You know, it, it's, it, it's just so misplaced. It's so focused on the wrong direction. You know, he should have recalled the words of Ezekiel, chapter 31, uh, 36, verses 25 through 27, which we read earlier. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put, put it within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If he had remembered this, and maybe he's already thinking about it, but if he would have remembered this, what Jesus said next would make perfect sense. Think about what Jesus says in the context of Ezekiel. In verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from, and you don't know where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So essentially, in essence, the new credential is Ezekiel 36. Right? If it was a card, if the credential was an actual card, it'd probably say like Ezekiel 36 in a cool font on it. You must be born of water, you must be born of spirit, which gives you a new heart and a new mind. And being born again is not physical, right? It is not physical, it is spiritual with physical evidence. Being born again is spiritual with physical evidence. We will see this. Just like now, you're already born, right? Obviously, we're all, all already born. These bodies will not see the kingdom of God. This body you have now will not set foot in the kingdom of God. It was already born. It's already, it's going gonna, it's gonna to run its path, its race. We're going to have a whole new body when we enter the kingdom of God. That's a whole other sermon. We're not even going to go there this morning. We're going to have a new body. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that body. But that body is based on our new spiritual birth, right? We get the new body because we're born again spiritually, and spiritual birth has two requirements, right? Being born again has two requirements. The first being born of water. Born of water. And I believe this has a dual meaning because John, the way he writes, has two, three, four meanings in everything he writes, but also based on what Ezekiel says and what John says, there's two meanings to be born of water here. The first is the obvious. Being born of water means you were born naturally. So if you've ever had a baby, you know, I won't get graphic, there's like a watery part, you know, before birth takes place. And so being born of water, right? So you're born, so you have to be born to be born again, right? So very, very easy qualifier, first step here. But the second part 
is repentance. It is repentance. Being born of water means repentance. You may remember back in chapter 1, this guy named John, he's just baptizing everybody, right? Everybody's coming up to him, trying to talk to him, and he's saying, don't mind me, I'm just baptizing people with water, telling people to repent, preparing the way of the Lord. And so that water stood for purification because, because John's baptism stood for repentance. You kind of see how John actually prepares the way for what Jesus is doing. That's how he's preparing the way. He's getting through that born of water part. Repent, right? Change your mind. Repent your actions. Change your actions. The other part of it is being born of the Spirit. Again, with two meanings. So the Greek word for spirit, uh, I don't think I have a slide, is pneuma, right? It means spirit and wind. Pneuma means spirit and wind. And so first, to understand that we need a new spirit, because why do I need a new spirit if I already have a spirit in me? Well, let's read a couple of verses, like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Ephesians 5, 14. Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. And so, yes, you have a spirit in you. Everybody in Bakersfield has a spirit in them, right? And we can do great things. We can have spiritual lives. We can all do great things. People who aren't Christians do great things. It's not just Christians. People do great things that save people and heal people. They make great works of art, right? They can prolong life, but the one thing they can't do is revive somebody who's spiritually dead. It's one thing that we can't do. We must be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. When we were born again, we were born of the Spirit of God. Right? The Spirit of God. Being born again actually literally means being born from above. So born again actually means being born from above. We are born spiritually from God, God alone. Nothing we could do. We couldn't do anything on earth. There's nothing any of us could do. Not even Nicodemus. Nicodemus would have been the guy to do it. But there's nothing we could do. We have to be born from above. And so when we have this new spirit from above, from God, this is what allows us to see Jesus. So if you wonder if, if you've been born of the spirit, then ask yourself, when you look at Jesus, what do you see? Right? Is he just like this hippie looking dude? You know, is he a great teacher? You know, or is he savior? Is he king? Is he the sacrificial lamb? Is he the beginning and the end? Is he God? And so depending on how you, you view Jesus, that, that's how you could tell right off the bat whether you were born of the Spirit or not. You cannot claim and believe genuinely that Jesus is God if you are not born of the Spirit. And the other reality of the Spirit is Jesus says that it's like the wind, right? comes back with both meanings in this text. Now, some people have speculated that it was probably a windy night and Jesus was just talking about the wind, right? Because otherwise, why would Jesus start, start talking about wind? But I think either way, it makes sense because Jesus explains in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with those who are born of the Spirit. And I think this makes sense. Like, I don't know how in, in our rabbit hole of watching YouTube videos as a family, but I was watching like a storm yesterday and just plants being ripped out, cars being turned over, glass exploding. 
but there's nothing there, right? It's wind. You can't see it coming. You don't know to get out of the way of a car that's about to fly your direction. It's wind. You can't see it. You can only see its effects. You can't see the wind. And I can't think of a better description of being born again. Can you? You did not see God face to face. I promise you. I mean, it would be insane. You know, even if you saw an angel, you'd be like everybody in the Bible. You'd lose your mind. You'd go crazy. You know, it just, it would be too much for us to comprehend. We didn't have a face to face conversation with God. We encountered God. His spirit, right, gave us new birth, changed our minds, gave us that new mind and that new heart. Visible manifestations of invisible power. We felt it. We've showed it in our lives. All of a sudden, we were one person, and now we are different people. All of a sudden, we're in church on Sunday morning instead of watching football or eating donuts. Something happened, right? And it's that spirit of God, being born of the spirit. If you're a Christian today, it's not because you were more spiritual. It's not because you're better looking. It's not because you're smart or creative had nothing to do with you. If you're here today and you're a Christian, it's because the wind blew through you, blew into your life, and transformed you. That's why you're a Christian this morning. God made you alive by his spirit. Now, the other part of this is this is really a power we can't control. Spirit comes and goes as it wants, directs those born of the spirit where it wants. And and don't be offended when I say this time last year, when I was making my resolutions and my to-do list for, for 2021, at no point did I say I want to move to Bakersfield. Right? I love it here, don't get me wrong. But that was not on my list. And yet the Spirit moved. Not only me, I've talked to other people who have moved here, who believe God is doing something here, and I truly do believe that. But the Spirit moved, and it literally physically moved us. Right? We had that physical movement and so looking at the Bay Connection, Bayco Connection, we must pray for Bakersfield to be born again. We must pray in the Spirit for the Spirit to come and wake people up, right? We must pray. We must ask God. We can't see it, but we must ask for that power to come through here. Revive this land. Give us new hearts. Give us new birth. And when we share the gospel... Share it like Jesus. Like Jesus is obviously, Jesus knows. Like when we encounter people, we don't know what's going on with them mentally, spiritually. Jesus knows this dude is lost, right? And he still approaches it with his time, with his grace. And so let's, let's be mindful of that when we talk to people. We should be loving people more than anybody, respecting people more than anybody, listening better than anybody. We should be the best at conversations, but also bringing the conversation to a point where we ask, are you born again? Right? Because that's what separates us from anybody else. Are you born again? That's what we need to ask. Not if you believe in God. Are you spiritual? Do you have crystals? You know, are you born again? And if they are, they'll know it. You'll know it. But if they're not, you could talk about it. Right? That's, that's the most important thing. Remembering that you need to be born of water and the Spirit. Now, I always wondered what kind of face Nicodemus would be making during this. Just, I don't know. A lot of memes come to mind, but just 
from being very smug and confident to just having your whole world destroyed. But also the fact that we know that God is working him in that, in that moment as well. What is, what is taking place in this conversation? His credentials are not enough. He needs a new heart. He needs new actions of repentance. But I also wonder if God wasn't working on his heart already. Because, remember when John was, was baptizing people and he kept getting interrupted by, by these Levites and priests? And they said, oh, the Pharisees sent us. Which means somebody was sending them. And I wonder if it was Nicodemus. If Nicodemus didn't hear that wind of God, right? That wind of the Spirit. And he kept sending people. He was like, something's happening. Something is happening. Go find out. Keep bugging John. Keep asking him because something is happening. And if not Nicodemus, at least all the other Pharisees know something's going down. Like, the people aren't oblivious. Something is going down here. And so let's look at the end of the conversation and the fact that Christ is our credential, or Christ as credential. In verses 9 through 15, Nicodemus said to them, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, which is the third time he says that, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so Nicodemus is still like, how can these things be? What's going on here? And so Jesus says, look, we know what we know. You know what you know. It's not enough. I know what I know because I made everything. Like I, I, I come and I go from heaven. I know everything. And man, I would love to share with you some crazy information, but you haven't even grasped this thing. You should have been teaching this and you haven't grasped it. So I can't give you all that I want to give you in this moment. But in Jesus' grace, just very clearly ties it all together because right now, so far, it's like being bored of water, being born of spirit, kind of abstract a little bit. But now he ties it all together. What does that mean? What does that look like to be born of water and spirit? And again, that's verses 14 and 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is a reference to Numbers 21, verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at that bronze serpent and live. So Israel was sinning. I mean, they were doing just being obnoxious. God has just given them everything, freedom from Egypt, food every day. God is providing for them. Egypt is not happy. I'm sorry, Israel is not happy. I'm sure Egypt wasn't happy as well. Um, but, and so God sends these snakes to bite people. And, and when they get bitten, they die. Like they get fevers, they suffer, they die. And so in God's grace, he tells Moses, have, have this staff that has a serpent on it. If anybody looks at that serpent, like lift it up, if anybody looks up to it, acknowledges it, sees it, acknowledges it, then they'll be healed. They'll be healed. And of course, a serpent is just a great symbol to represent evil and sin, as it was the serpent who tempted Adam and Eve, right? So perfect symbol for sin. And Jesus was saying, he's going to get lifted up. He's going to be the one who's lifted up. 
on the cross. And he's going to heal people spiritually, permanently. He's not going to be a picture of evil or the symbol of sin. He's going to become sin itself for us. We must have faith in Jesus as that, as, as that sin, right? Part of having faith in Jesus means believing that Jesus became sin. That's what that's saying here. As Jesus is lifted up, you must look up to Jesus in faith and acknowledge that he's not lying. He did come to die for us and, and experience the death for our sin. And so as we consider spiritual rebirth, being born again of the Spirit and born again of water, what that means is being able to acknowledge Jesus and repenting, right? You're born of the Spirit. You have a new spirit. You can see Jesus for who he is now. And if you could see Jesus for who he is, also your actions, the water part, you're going to cleanse yourself. You're going to see Jesus super holy, ultra perfectly holy. I need to cleanse myself. And so that's the born of water part. You cleanse yourself. You repent. Repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus and repent of your sins. This means as we go out into Bakersfield and our Bay Connection, as we share the gospel, we need to communicate this. If you want a new life, eternal life, you want to be recreated, you want a new mind, you want a new heart, you must be born again. You must believe in Jesus and you must repent of your sins. It's three things. I mean, that's the gospel. You could take the conversation anywhere from there, but you must be born again. You must be born again. You must believe in Jesus specifically and your life must show what you believe. And so you can't just ask Jesus into your heart. You can't. Jesus doesn't even need permission to go into your heart. He made and holds everything together. He wants your submission. He wants your love and your faith in him and your trust in him. And he wants to see your life rejects things that are opposed to him. When Jesus gives you that new heart and mind, you know what? You start loving the church. When people say, oh, I don't go to church. I don't think I need to be a church to be a Christian. It's, well, I, I know for sure Jesus loves the church, so how could you not if you were in Christ? And as you look at your life, what does your life say? Are you rejecting sin in light of your view of Christ? So you need all three of those. And so we must spread this gospel. And we're going to come across a lot of people like Nicodemus, um, other people who are full of pride. I live in California. I live in the United States, right? America. Like, it doesn't get better than this. We live in a conservative city, again, with good food, right? Not a lot of traffic. We go to church, and yet none of that matters. Yes, hear what everybody has to say. Hear about where they go to church. Hear about their political views. Hear about their views about everything. But we got to turn this all back around. On Judgment Day, God's not going to ask you what church you went to, what car you drove, you know, what websites you looked at, what you wore. He's going to ask, what did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? He was lifted up like he was perfectly content in heaven, right? For all of eternity, he came down literally face to face because you guys didn't understand the prophets. You didn't understand the visions. You didn't understand everything else. He went down to you face to face and got lifted up and beaten to a pulp and was murdered for you. What did you do with that? What did you do with that information? You know, what are your credentials? And your credentials are, what did you do with that? Did you believe it? If you did, then you were born again. You were born again. And so this morning, are you ready for eternity? Are you born again? Can you say confidently, 
that you were born again. Now, at the beginning, I mentioned David Bowie. You know, he kept recreating himself into different characters over and over again until one day he couldn't anymore. In fact, he only had one character left that he could become. And it's interesting because he became somebody known as the blind prophet. And so he was dying. This guy is dying, and he doesn't know what the future holds. He wears all black, puts a cloth over his eyes, and says, I have no idea what is happening to me. I can't transform any longer. And eerily, his last single was called Lazarus. Right, Lazarus, you know, Jesus' friend, he was raised from the dead. And I hope, I hope, you know, as a fan, that he meant something very profound there, that maybe he had discovered Jesus, right? And he had a confidence that he was going to be raised from the dead. But maybe he didn't. Maybe he was just hoping for another chance, that, that somehow something would give him another chance to be recreated. He just hoped for another life. And so we must know this morning, where do we stand? Do we know that? Are you born again? And, and what does your life say about that? If you're born again, you should have an awesome life right now of such joy. Now, if you've read the gospel before, the gospel of John before, you know that Nicodemus becomes a follower of Jesus, right? Did you know that? Like, that is awesome. That excites me. That, that brings me so much joy knowing that this conversation led to somebody coming to the faith. That is amazing. I mean, put it, it would be like this. Imagine if the Pope all of a sudden just came out today and just repented of all the religious aspects, like actually went and was born again and professed Christ as being the only way to heaven. Imagine the Pope saying, I, I am a born again Christian. Or the Dalai Lama, right? Or any super huge spiritual leader or, or political idol. Imagine if they all of a sudden came to the faith. That's what's happening with Nicodemus. That's the level of what happened right here. The top person came to Christ. And I don't know about you, but that, that excites me. That gives me hope. Right, that gives me hope. It's crazy. You don't know which way the Spirit's going to blow. You don't know where the Spirit's going to go. You don't know who's going to be transformed. So pray. Pray that it blows through elites, right? All the craziest uh, elite people, through, through politicians, through, through the artists and the Bowies, the blue collars and the farmers. Blow through Bakersfield. And may our prayer always be, God save Bakersfield. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.